today on the Zabecast. Great to be back home, and we are back into it. Trevor Lawrence in the news, sort of. I guess being the best prospect since Peyton Manning isn't quite enough. We got my visit with Fred Middick in the Mobile Strike studio from last Saturday, and he's got a Blanton's nugget that will blow your mind. All that, plus Peloton is fighting recalls of its newest death machine, I mean, exercise equipment. Your 45-minute dose of pure me is locked and loaded, so buckle up and let's go! Here we go! Monday, April 19, 2021. Thank you for downloading. And yes, this is a free episode. Those of you one percenters, those of you who were hard counted into signing up as a monthly subscriber are like, hey, wait a minute. You promised us Andy and Sally on Mondays. Well, I was driving yesterday. And I was driving and 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 driving. You know, 533 miles from Louisville, Kentucky, back home to the western reaches of the DMV and uh, undisclosed Loudoun County, where the monogamous compound is. I'm pretty proud of myself. Nine hours, 31 minutes, total running time, full trip, solo driver, stop four times. Not bad for me. I'm not a road warrior, per se. I, I really don't do long drives. Very well. Some of you are like the astronaut who drove from Houston to Florida wearing diapers just so she could try to kidnap and murder her ex-boyfriend. But I'm not that way. I'm like good for a six-hour car ride, and then I get kind of cranky. And usually if I'm going six hours, I've got to ask my wife, can you you drive for a couple hours? But I did it all by myself, and I did it with something that's kind of crazy. I don't know if you ever tried this. I did not drink the night before, and I went to bed early. Well, lo and behold, that and I'm using my CPAP RX CPAP machine, which I have not talked a whole lot about here on the podcast, not out of any other reason than just I haven't quite gotten the hang of it yet. And it was sort of on the edge, like, am I going to keep doing this or not? Should I talk about them or not? Very nice folks there in Wisconsin that sponsor Five Wide. And they hooked me up with a CPAP because I know I've got sleep apnea like a mofo. And it's been on the horse, off the horse, on the horse, off the horse. And they said to me, uh, they said, look, the more you use it, the better you'll get. The better you get, the more you use it, the more benefit you're going to see. And darn it if they ain't right about that. So... Anyhow, shout out to them. Nine hours of driving. I couldn't get home in time to do, uh, you know, Solly and Andy. I'm going to work them in, hopefully this week. Or one of these days will be free. Or one of these days will pay, will be for you paying subscribers only. But today is free. Get to the sport. Okay, all right. Let's get to it. Trevor Lawrence is in the news, sort of, with the annual, it seems, does he really love football? Debate. SI.com. Trevor Lawrence caused a stir in the NFL community this week with comments he made in an SI article concerning his commitment to the game of football. Said Lawrence, quote, I want people to know that I'm passionate about what I do, and it's really important to me, but I don't have this huge chip on my shoulder that everyone's out to get me and trying to prove everybody wrong. I just don't have that. I can't manufacture that. I don't want to. Well, a couple things. One is, 
he is a very faithful young man. So when you already have extreme, unshakable faith in Jesus Christ, I would imagine that you're not like walking around angry. You're, 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 you're not of that mold. Secondly, there's no one to prove wrong. He's been the number one prospect now for several years. So in that sense, he was being spot on honest. Uh, how am I going to manifest? Who is that? Who is doubting me? Did, did Lewis Riddick say something bad about? No, he doesn't care. His more to life than football mentality was misconstrued though. And Lawrence wrote so on Twitter on Saturday. But he had talking heads wondering if the talented NFL prospect has the frame of mind to live up to the hype in a grown-up league. <laughs> talking heads. <laughs> talking heads were wondering. Well, let the talking heads blah, blah, blah. I don't, it's just so silly. He said on Twitter, he goes, it seems as if me, people are misreading my sentiment. I am internally motivated. I love football as much or more than anyone. It's a huge priority in my life, obviously. I am driven to be the best I can and to maximize my potential and to win, all caps. I have a lot of confidence in my work ethic. I love to, okay, I'm already, this is only two tweets and three tweets, and he ends up by saying, thanks for coming to my TED Talk, LOL. Praise hands. You didn't have to do that. It doesn't matter. Stop worrying about it. I guess also some fans in Jacksonville hustled up a GoFundMe to get him wedding gifts off his registry, and it started to get up to the 20,000-plus range, and he said already, look, I'm giving this to charity. I'm not going to take your gifts. Now, if I'm not mistaken, Robert Griffin III got wedding gifts from fans in Washington, and if I'm not mistaken, he kept them. I think maybe wrong about that. Hey, to each their own. Anyway, I tried to Google this, and I did two quick Googles and gave up because that's how tenacious I am. But I could swear, help me out, people, on this one. I could swear there was one NFL prospect, one guy ahead of the draft, who said he wanted to die on the football field. Not right away. No, of course, not until he got that cheddar, cheddar, cheddar. cheddar. But he said that's, that's how much he loves football, that he wanted to die in the field. And then, of course, the talking heads, quote-unquote, got their tongues a-wagging. Who was that guy? I, I did, like I said, I did two cursory Google searches and then gave up. Can you remember who I'm talking about? Somebody out there, throbbing brain? Uh, we'll, we'll know it, so let me know. Dateline myocarditis. The results are in, and here we go. Paging Dr. Mark Schlissel. Paging punchable face, University of Michigan president and epidemiologist, Dr. Mark Schlissel. Remember the myocarditis scare, scare of August? In which, oh my God, these young kids are, they're walking into a, they're walking into a hellfire. It'll be like the opening scene in Saving Private Ryan, these young, healthy athletes with COVID, they're going to get myocarditis. Their hearts are going to explode. This doofus on Twitter with a blue check mark, Eric Topol, Topol, smoker's toothpaste. Eric Topol tweeted over the summer myocarditis with COVID 19 at Ohio State. Four out of 26 competitive athletes, or 15%, had MRI signs of myocarditis, and eight 
of them finding suggestive of heart injury. So 31% of the few they had tested that had been positive for COVID, they said at the time showed signs of heart injury, 31%, and 15% had uh, MRI signs of myocarditis. Well, let's go to the actual results. Uh, 3,018 COVID plus athletes surveyed, followed up only one had any adverse cardiac event, which was felt to be unrelated to COVID. Paging Mark Schlissel. One out of 3,018 surveyed. That would be a percentage of 0.03%. I'm sure Dr. Schlissel will apologize. I'm sure Christine Brennan, darkest day in conference history. I'm sure they'll all apologize going, you know what? We, we, we got suckered. We, we, we ran ahead of the data here. We got suckered into it. Sorry about that. We were wrong. No, they're never going to say sorry because they're going to say, well, we were just looking out for the, you know, the data turns out, thankfully, wasn't the case, but we didn't know that at the time. It's better to the air on the side of caution. That's what they will say. It's a heads I win, tails you lose type of stance. Speaking of college football, programs around the country are having their spring practices and scrimmages. And I love these uh, videos. Penn State football. The great Jack Ham shows up in the Penn State locker room to tell a certain walk-on by the name of Drew Hartlub, a red shirt safety who is going to be a senior been four years almost in the program that he is finally on full scholarship. I love these videos. We won games with special teams. We won games with defense. We had a player named Joe Green. Let me look him up. But he, we played a defense, and it, it was a defense that stunned four for three, and he bought into the fact that he's going to get double teamed on every play. He didn't care about being all pro. He cared about winning championships, and that's what it's all about. And a guy right here is, I think, a, that kind of a champion, that kind of a team player is Drew Hartlob. And he's on full scholarship now. Everybody piling up together, lifting up young Drew. Bro hugs the whole thing. I love it. I'm a sucker for that. And what I love the most is that this kid, I mean, he looks like the kicker or maybe the equipment manager. And he's got every alpha, badass, regular player totally happy for him, hugging him, lifting him up. White guys, black guys, other guys, all big together. That's what football does. That's what sports does, but especially football. And yeah, let's pay the players. I wonder, hmm, Drew Hartlub's going to be a regular now. Well, what do we owe him? Uh, what is his licensing rights in Madden 2022? I'm going to, oh, oh, I'm going to do a Robert Blitz with, uh, with, with Hartlub. Watch this. I'm going to so beat Alabama Blitz and Hartlub every time. Pay that man. Super happy. Went four, I think four years at Penn State before finally getting a dime of scholarship. Happiest day of his life. Stewart Sink, 
wins at Heritage. Please, with the Stewart Sink resets, he does not look like me, although I too am bald. I don't have the uneven light bulb head like he does. He looks more like my boy Big Mike, who you're going to hear from here in just a second, talking with our man Fred Minnick. But good for Stewart Sink. Even better was the fact he had his son on the bag. Once again, proving just like, you know, um, uh, Lee Westwood having his girlfriend and fiance on the bag, caddying on the tour is kind of overrated, you know? I'm not saying you shouldn't have your own Michael Greller to work through every little angle. But at some point, it's just a guy to carry the bag and read the book and give you a little bit of advice. Wonderful thing to have his son on the bag winning at Harbortown. Then there's this. Peloton is fighting a recall in which they have allegedly delayed action and investigation into a potential safety problem after an incident. Yeah, what was that? Well, there was an incident. It was revealed that a child died and others were injured in accidents on its treadmills last month. I guess Peloton is into the treadmill biz in addition to the bicycle biz now. Very fancy, I'm sure very expensive treadmills. Federal regulators told the Washington Post that the Consumer Product Safety Commission had issued an administrative subpoena requiring Peloton to name the child with family contact information within 24 hours so the agency could continue investigating. However, a spokesperson for Peloton, Jessica Kleeman, said the company uh, did not want to provide personal information out of respect for its customers' privacy. Yeah, that and the pile of money they gave to the family when this came up. Like, hey, uh, this new Peloton is good, but did kill one of our kids. Here's all the monies. Please keep quiet about this. Don't call the Consumer Product Safety Commission. Now, I got a theory here. and Just hear me out. Is it possible that the kid killing thing is a feature and not a defect of the Peloton? What on earth? Hey, I'm just saying. Most Peloton types seem to, um, you know, not be the kid-having types. You know, kids get in the way of their fabulous, incredible lifestyle and their architecturally immaculate houses with their perfect driveways and their wonderful Michelob Ultra meetups after their 10K runs with their impossibly handsome friends in their mid thirty. Kids? Peloton? Oh, wait. It'll get me in shape and it might take, okay, that's sick. You're, you're, you're a sick son of a bitch. Sorry, I was just asking. Probably not the case. All right. For those of you that love bourbon, I think you'll love this segment. For those of you that don't care about bourbon, you can skip it. For those of you who don't care about bourbon, but you love me digging into the weeds about certain things that may be interesting, I think you'll like this chat I had with Fred Minnick in the Free Hugs and Candy van on Saturday outside his fabulous studio and offices in Louisville, Kentucky. He told me something about Blanton's, the most sought-after, hard-to-find bourbon right now on the market that goes for double, triple, or more in reselling. Something about that that blew my mind. Plus, I kind of relayed to him my concept of the bourbon industry now that I've been there, done that, seen the distilleries and got to learn a whole lot more about it. It's fascinating to me. It might be to you. 
We'll raise up our glasses against evil forces singing whiskey for my men, beer for my horses. Where's Charge when we need him? No kidding. <laughs> yes, Charge would be super, super jealous. We have the great Fred Minnick of Bourbon Curious, Wall Street Journal best-selling author of how many books now? On uh, the Brown? Se- well, On the Brown, four, seven books in total. Very good. YouTube oh. channel, podcast, the whole suite of modern digital media. Just Google him, all right? Fred Minnick, <laughs> M-I-N-N-I-C-K. We are in the Mobile Strike studio right outside the Fred Minnick Bourbon Tasting Headquarters in not quite downtown Louisville, just the exurbs, would you say, you call it? Yeah, we're on the east side. East side of Louisville. And Big Mike is here in the van with us because he organized our trip down here to see various distilleries. How has, by the way, the trip gone for you, Mikey? This was your project. Are it's you been, happy? I'm thrilled. It's been great. We've had a great time. We've been treated extremely well. Fred has uh, been wonderful with some of uh, getting us into Hooked some up. parts of uh, right. into parts of distilleries that we may not have seen. We saw his library, <laughs> if that's in air quotes for everybody listening, uh, at, at, at the Bardstown, Bardstown Distillery. And by library, there's no books, Fred. Uh, no. It's all no. a collection of very hard-to-find, yeah. rare and expensive bourbon bottles. Mm-hmm. Rare and you, stuff. You put that together, you said you had to do it on the down low, mm-hmm. because if people knew that you were doing that, the prices would start yeah, going up yeah. and up and up, right? Yeah, the prices would start going up. Also, there's a legality aspect of it. A bill had just passed for uh, made it legal for uh, bars and restaurants to acquire spirits from an individual versus, you know, because there's a whole three-tier system that you have to buy alcohol uh, through licensed purveyors. But a law was passed that allowed the that allowed uh, licensed retailers and bars and hotels and so forth to purchase directly from a consumer. First oh. time it happened in Kentucky history. You know, since prohibition, and so I would find people and I would meet them, and people. It was a little bit like making drug deals in some cases. <laughs> I'd have a, I'd, I'd meet someone with a sack full of cash in a parking lot, um, and they were just like, "Here it is," and then gone. You know, but uh, you know, they would later wow. like amend the laws to make sure that you would you could you would get their like record their license plate and things like that. Uh, and I always made sure nothing was stolen, but. And I authentic, I I think the specialty that I have is I can authenticate a bottle. You know, I can look at a bottle and know you know the time frame and how it's what it should look like because there's a lot of counterfeit that goes on. And uh, you know, we came across a, I came across a couple counterfeit bottles in Pappy in particular, and I turned them down. And um, but uh, yeah, I I was able to build that uh, with less than a hundred thousand dollars. And now if you, for the bottles that I got in there, who's hundred thousand? They're hundred thousand. Yeah, good. Yeah, I, uh, OPM is the way to go. Other people's money. <laughs> <laughs> Make sure Always. they're paying for it. But that's a hell of a library. Now, what happens when one of those bottles finally gets drunk out? Do you oh, replace it? Shoot, I guess. Yeah, I get. There, you know, there hasn't really been a lot of those rare bottles that have been, um, you know, killed. But are they are they meant to be kept sealed in that library at the Bardstown Distillery, or are they meant to be nipped at by? VIP groups that book yeah. that room. Yeah, actually, what happens is the you find that like the the other distilleries will go through there and um, and buy their old product and sip it with their clients. So like Maker's Mark is like there was uh, I had a bunch of like 1970s Maker's Mark in there uh, and a bottle from the 60s. 
you know, that was what went the fastest. And then there's a bottle from the 1800s in there that uh, was distilled by um, Dixon Deadman by his great, great, great uh, grandfather. Wow. And so, like, he goes in there and sips on that. And, you know, well, it sets him back, I think, 1500 bucks. But, you know. <laughs> hey, what's 1500 bucks amongst bourbon connoisseurs? Yeah, but, I, but so, like, I, like... I gave them the allowed them to use my name, and I built the like the collection and everything. But I, uh, I, I don't really get over there as much as I'd like to. We've talked about like having some like tastings and everything, but right. I mean, really, you know, COVID just killed everything. Oh in, yeah, and on in my world, so our world too. Every, everybody's world, right? Well, but, not everybody's world. That's part of the problem, <laughs> Mikey. You know that. <laughs> some people have coasted just fine in this world of social distancing, but your business, my business, events, getting out, ball yeah. games, etc., just crushed. So it's yeah. uh, it's been a slow grind back. We're glad to be here though, and it's been great to go out to the various places. So I'm gonna get one my one big thought off. Mm-hmm. Then I'm gonna turn it over to Mike because <laughs> Mike is no seriously, Mike, you've got questions. I, have I know a few. you think of one good, a couple good questions here. My first big thing that I have realized talking to guys about bourbon is that it's fascinating how it is still an old school analog activity that cannot be automated, mm-hmm. cannot be accelerated. I mean, you can, but you end up with shit. It is hammering out barrels, which mm-hmm. it still kills me. They make barrels. Out of staves of oak. Yep. Big, burly men with hammers and metal and bam, 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 and they slam them together. There's no machines to make whiskey barrels, are there? Uh, they still require humans uh, yes. to, to like get, get it to lined up just yeah, right I mean, and get so- it all hammered together. So it's barrels, it's age, it's time, it's recipes. Yep. So in a way, even though I go to a liquor store and I see Maker's Mark, Big, well-known international brand. It looks like any other product that I see in American capitalistic life. And so I kind of assume that, oh, yeah, they're just cranking these out, you know, by the billions. Well, some bigger places are, but a lot of the other brands are not. Or there's pressure on them from international sources, right? The Japanese discovered bourbon a while back and said, ooh, we like this stuff, when before they didn't. So that's pulling a lot of the source of it out of Kentucky, out of the U.S., raising prices. Yeah. Buffalo Trace blew my mind in that I was told by our listener, John, they didn't used to be called Buffalo Trace. Correct. Correct. It was a Japanese firm that bought them, Mm -hmm. the distillery. What was the name of the old distillery? H&H. H&H Distillery. Mm -hmm. And they said, you know, we need a name for this place. And luckily, their marketers were brilliant, and they got a sense of it even though it's a Japanese company, Buffalo Trace. Great logo, great name. It appeals to the hoopleheads like me, Fred, who buys liquor mostly by the bottle. How unique it is, does the label look good? So they came up with a great brand name. And then with Blanton's, which is also distilled there, my guy, our guy Matt said Blanton's used to be a shelf pour. Yeah, you used to be able to find it everywhere. One, one quick thing to that. A company called Sazerac came in That's who and, it is. And, and acquired uh, inquired it, but Ancient Age is still very much a part there. Who's and, Sazerac? Are they based uh, in the U.S.? Yeah, New Orleans. Okay, they New are. Orleans. All right. Yeah, but Ancient Age was the Japanese firm. Yeah, and okay. they still they still own uh, Blanton's. Okay, you know, so so yeah. nowadays Blanton's is probably the most sought after, hoopalhead, average Joe bourbon aficionado 
bourbon out there, right? Well, we uh, there is a uh, this is Blanton's is is such a a puzzle to me because the whiskey is a subpar average. It's not great, you know, like in blind tastings. It repeatedly does not do well, not just for me, but for you, if you, you recall. You did that with me in church, yeah. and, and it was incredible. I said, what's this uh, number C, or or, or uh, glass, what do they call them, snifters? Yeah, just the glass, yeah, yeah, snifter. Yeah, it was number C, and, and it was a blind taste test, and I was like, and I think I said, and this is a quote before I knew what it was, who forgot to bring the flavor? Yeah, that's, that was your quote. And then you revealed it as Blanton's. Mikey, I was blown, blown away. You love plans. Everyone loves plans. I like it. It's an easy. It's an easy drink. It's nice to have the bottle. But for me, there's the, yeah. the flavor profiles that you can get from some of these some other brands and right. the way things are aged. And you know, I'm a rye person, so I like things that have more rye in them. Sure, I like yeah. the spicier finish. But Blends is the. By the way, for those that don't know, it's the it's the bottle with the little octagonal sort of round cannonball bottle mm-hmm. with the horsey on the top. The horsey on the top. You cannot find it anywhere, and if you do, it's probably marked up 2X, 3X, 4X, who knows what. Mm-hmm. Used to be a shelf pour. Yep. Our guy Matt Moore said you used to get it at Costco mm-hmm. or some other, maybe other liquor stores. I don't know if Costco had it. And somehow, Fred, it became the holy grail. Yeah, there's a couple theories. Uh, pop culture has a big impact on on what we drink. You know, Mad Men had a big play on on all of us drinking uh, bourbon, um, you know, Sex in the City had a big, big thing with Apple Teenies and, and right. Cosmopolitans. So you know the trend, the the going thought of like why Blanton's became so popular is it was like John Wick's drink, and it was unjustified. And uh, there were a couple other shows that it was really associated with. So John Wick dro- drank Blanton's. Yeah, he would drink Blanton's, <laughs> and. And there was, there's also something quintessential Kentucky about that bottle, and that's I think it is the best package in in bourbon, because it's got the horse on the top, it's got kind of like a nice grenade or pumpkin bottle, and you have there's a there's an if you get all the bottles it'll spell out jockey, you know, so you there's like a hunt connected to it, uh-huh. so it is there's there's a secret formula to it, but the whiskey inside just is not as good as the other Buffalo Trace products, and Buffalo Trace. It's a great distillery, and I think they do. I think the way that they create limited editions and everything is is the way other distillers should do it. But they get so much business because nobody nobody can get uh, their product. So they are making Pappy Van Winkle. They are making the Buffalo Trace Antique Collection, which is George T. Stag, uh, Weller, Eagle Rare, Thomas Handy, Sazerac. Uh, they're now making a, a handy line, or not a handy line, but a Thomas Moore line at their sister distillery in uh, 1792 Barton. I mean, they make so many good bourbons. They do make some bad ones. Like, I'm not a fan of Benchmark. Okay. And I like I say I will drink Blanton's, but I don't think anybody should pay you know $200 for it. No, it's, absolutely no not. There's much. other stuff you can get. So Buffalo Trace, I'd say about four years ago, I had gone to my local liquor store in Virginia. I'd gotten some Buffalo Trace. I liked the logo. I liked the bottle. That's me. And I said I would like – I wanted a bourbon barrel for my basement bar mm-hmm. that was Buffalo Trace. And I put it out to my listeners, and luckily some very nice listener hooked me up with one. In the years since, probably four years ago, every time I go to my local ABC store in Virginia, I'm like, where's the Buffalo Trace? Can't find it. And it's not an expensive bottle per se. No. It's just, and we got it down here, right, Mikey? 
Yeah, it's like a $40 bottle. And it's good whiskey. It's good mm-hmm. bourbon, but it's not necessarily blow you away. It's great in old-fashioned. Right. <laughs> right. So it's the most fascinating thing to me, Fred, in that bourbon is a mainstream product, yet because of how it's made, it is still subject to almost hobbyist price fluctuations yeah. and popularity. And that we have, and we have a uh, and we have a secondary market that that drives everything. And then um, there's a collector's layer mm-hmm. on top of it with the enthusiasts and everything else. And it's fascinating to me. All kinds of uh, heated discussions uh, throughout bars and uh, social media everywhere. It's, <laughs> yes. It can be a lot of fun. Yeah, it is. You know, we're driven by the search for better. When it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't help you just hire faster. 93% of employers agree. Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. This according to a recent Indeed survey. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Zabe. Just go to Indeed.com slash Zabe right now and support the show by saying you heard about it right here on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Zabe. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, Mikey, the floor is yours with Fred Mittick. Huh. Fire away. We just had a sip of his $10,000 per bottle Michter's Sour Mash. The best he's got in his I, office in celebration. I've Thank you for that. I've seen it in pictures, Pleasure. and now I've tasted it in real life. <laughs> did your Did your eyes roll back in your head? Did you hear angels singing when you sipped it? Oh, I needed I needed a cigarette afterwards. <laughs> um, but... Uh, <laughs> You know, Fred, the one thing I was going to – the one big question I have is – it was fascinating. We were at Bardstown yesterday. Um, there's a lot more bourbons. Thomas Moore is another one when you mentioned it. That's being uh, finished in yeah. in wine in wine barrels. Mm-hmm. And my question is, and is you know, the, the Bardstown, when they're doing it in wine, they're saving some of the wine as they ship the wine barrels here. And is – to me, that gives it this wonderful, dark, almost burgundy color in some of these. But doesn't that take away a little bit from the true... Is it cheating? Is it cheating because you're adding color that way? Gentlemen, you have just stepped into a big old pile of me about to get on my... Uh, uh-oh. My, well, I'm about a pile to, of Fred Medic I'm bullshit. About to, I'm about to get on here. Here we go. Oh, I'm about boy. To get a, Didn't so, even know I was going to get there with that question. Okay, <laughs> let's go. And by the way, for those that don't know... Regular whiskey or bourbon is finished in charred oak barrels, period. That's it. Yeah, the so- newer blends are taking old barrels that used to have wine or other spirits and finishing them for a, a blend, a sexy hybrid. Is that cheating on the true essence of bourbon? Let's, let's just say, let's qualify with this. We're not talking about whether the whiskey is good here. We're talking about right. actual... Uh, legal definition and what should be allowed within the confines of the term bourbon. Bourbon is an actual federally protected term that in 1964 Congress declared to be a unique product of the United States, So, and it's very defined. 
And in the last 10 years... What's we, the definition? The definition is... Must be 50% or more of corn fit, mash? It must be at least 51% made from at least 51% of corn mash. It uh, must be distilled at no higher than 160 proof. Cannot go into a barrel at any higher than 125 proof. And that barrel, it must be a new charred oak barrel, so they can never use right. uh, used barrels. And I can't, and it must be bottled at uh, no lower than eighty proof. And most importantly, must not have any artificial colorings. No colorings, no flavorings, no sugar, no sugar. They can't add anything to it. Right. Well, in the in the late nineteen nineties, uh, a guy named Booker No, who was like the most one of the most iconic distillers of the twenty first uh, uh, the twenty first century and the twentieth century, he worked for you know he was Jim Beam. And he finished uh, an 18-year-old bourbon in a cognac cask, which is something very common in, in scotch. And it came out, and nobody blinked an eye at it. Nobody really got it. It was just kind of, it was there and it was gone. You can still find it. It was not a popular product. Delicious. But then, as people were, you know, getting into the game, they were trying to stand out and be different than other people, they would finish it. In pork barrels, so Angel's Envy is the most famous one. That is a mainstay product that is finished in another barrel. But when they apply for a label, label approval within the federal government, everything that you see in a bottle of alcohol must be approved by the feds. It's like a highly regulated industry. They do not apply under bourbon. They apply under distilled spirit specialty. Oh, and so all of these products that uh, are finished in other, other things, they are not bourbon, technically. technically. And they, while they may be able to put bourbon on there, I have long argued that they should not be able to put bourbon on the label wow. in the front in the most important spot. Now, they can put it on the back label and describe it and all that, but I do not believe that they should be able to do it. Now, I'm a purist, and I'm, I'm in the middle of looking at, like, when you do, when in these situations where you have a protective name, if the country does not protect it, then other countries will take advantage of that. And right now, we have tons of so-called bourbons that are getting wine added to them, or in flavor packets. Oh, we have uh, we have other countries uh, that are buying uh, uh, totes or barrels of whiskey, bottling it in their countries. And adding water to it and saying it's it's uh, made here but bottled there. And they're trying to put their own spin of bourbon on it. And now we also have a non-alcoholic bourbon. So you have all of these things that's going on. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, that's not uh, a bourbon. Ritual, <laughs> ritual brands out of Chicago. Yeah, there's so many of them right now. Yeah, I, I, know one of the, I know one of the guys anyway. And, and so, like, you have all of these things that are going on. That is not to say anything about the quality of the product, because the quality of these products are fantastic. But let's call them whiskey and not call them bourbon, because bourbon, if we don't protect it, we don't protect that name, right. we're, going, we're going mean, to lose it. doesn't that. mean so anything. When, so when Bardstown puts collaboration on their label, mm-hmm. that's more accurate than saying it's bourbon, even though in the corner of the label or on the back it says bourbon product or however they phrase it. Yeah. But it's, but collaboration is actually technically the proper term, correct? Well, I mean, it, for what how they do it, yeah. I mean, if, you, if we just say it's whiskey finished, uh, finished whiskey, but it's, it, it's, a, it's a major issue uh, for people like me. But, you know, I am, I think I'm really the minority uh, in this, and I try to, you know, most people just say, well, if it's good, and then if you if you talk about, like, another country making it, then 
you know, then they, you know, call you out for being something else. And it's, it's, it's just not a, it's not a good situation for the future of bourbon, in my opinion. I don't feel like we should, bourbon should just be bourbon. Nothing added to it ever. But whiskey can be anything. Yeah, whiskey, whiskey yeah, does whi- have yeah. color additives. It has can. flavor additives. There's blended whiskeys, Canadian whiskeys, Canadian mm-hmm. uh, right. uh, Royal Crown and all that other stuff. So, yeah. I mean, there's that. But bourbon needs to stand alone as this is what bourbon is. It's uh, corn mash distill at least 51%, and it's finished in a charred oak barrel, period, amen, end of story. Yeah, that's right. So just that, that's, my, that's my belief. Do you like for uh, Mikey, the stuff that's got the, uh, the the exotic finishes. I don't like the cognac finish. Okay, um, but I, you know, some of the wine stuff is pretty good. I, but I'm I'm in Fred's camp. That's why I asked the question because I, I like and I'm a rye person, right? So Whistlepig is what I started drinking when I first started drinking this stuff, and and Whistlepig. And you is didn't get into bourbon until like six years ago, you five think. or six, yeah, something yeah. like that. And now and you're off the charts. Well, I don't know about that. Full no, no, off the chart as a guy to my right. Like, well, you, but you're <laughs> you're fully in the throes of the uh, of the hobby. Would you call it a hobby? By the way, how many bottles do you ha- now have? Well, after yesterday and today, I have ninety now. So, not <laughs> a boy, not a boy. Your lovely wife Jenny said, "How many are you bringing home?" I said, "No more than 10, and she just chuckled and she said, "Bring me a T-shirt," um, <laughs> which I bought her. So, size small. Um, Fred, the other question I had for you is yesterday, and again, just because it happened at Bardstown, mm-hmm. um, our tasting was very interesting. It was a tasting like I've never had before. Okay, where they had just the distal. Mm-hmm. Um, the clear, like right. moonshine, and yep. you were able to taste the steps, for lack of a better way to say oh, that's it. That's great. Yeah. Is that? Do you do you see that a lot? I mean, do you you never get to taste it that way, right? When before? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, oh, you do. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I can taste it however I want at any stage, and you know, and honestly, I hate to say this, but you know, pre-COVID, I would just be able to go into a warehouse and with somebody, and we'd drill a barrel and taste it right from there. But when COVID hit, this is this. This is why it's so scary for bourbon, is that they would get contact trace and have to shut down their entire, you know, that warehouse right. or something, and so they would no longer let people in warehouses because it would cost them fifteen million dollars a day or something like that. But uh, well, thank God we were allowed to roam around. That was it was interesting though, and I know you yesterday, Steve, when we were doing that. I mean, you said, "Is this moonshine?" And the tour guide Vince said, "Well, yeah, white lightning moonshine, whatever you want to call yeah. it." I thought it tasted pretty darn good. I didn't called bother a white, me. Called a white dog. White dog. That was yeah. a white dog. White dog. You know, back in the old days, in the 1800s, they called it singling, you know, because you'd taste it and make you sing. But, uh. <laughs> but there's, um, that is the, that that part. Here's the funny thing about about bourbon. I, I learned from a great master distiller uh, named Lincoln Henderson. He was the founder of, uh, he was the founding master distiller for Woodford Reserve and founded uh, Angel's Envy. And uh, he said, you know, sometimes when you have, like, uh, a white dog that tastes really good, uh, the barrel will kill it. You know, some, so sometimes, like, a white dog that tastes good is not always going to yield the best whiskey. So, you know, so that's a, that's a fascinating study. In it. And there's so, much, there's so much more art to making bourbon uh, than I think there is science. Because all the science is out there. And sure. all the science is telling you that you can do 
this and, and Zabe mentioned the rapidly aged stuff which by the way there's a lot of celebrities getting into into whiskey right now with rapid aged whiskey Ugh. one of them is Charles Woodson he has a rapid aged uh, whiskey out great Look, packer I'm the don't biggest blaspheme packer. Them. I'm the <laughs> biggest packer fan there is Charles one of my four or five favorite I'm, packers of all time just stick with football I'm telling you right now it's the first rapid aged product that I didn't spit out really He's got. He's got some. So it wasn't like that stuff we yeah. tasted. How that fast tasted like drywall and uh, and you know. So they have a. They have a lot. There's a lot of different processes that they would do. Some of them are like uh, using like um, ultrasound techniques to strip out the higher alcohols. Some of them are putting uh, the uh, the white dog in in a barrel and then shaking it, kind of like a paint paint canister. And uh, I actually don't know. A year, a month. If, a month, six days. It depends. It six days to age it. You know the so the you know the bad whiskey I gave you. Yes. The By the way, we, we 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 insisted on tasting some of Fred's worst shit he had in his office. <laughs> oh, and let God. me tell you, it tasted like the inside of a pirate's leg, as Ron Burgundy would say. <laughs> Absolute no, ass. No, the one tasted like. Uh, Kitty, wet kitty litter that's been left outside, and the other one tasted like you described it as drywall and yeah, drywall and a dead cat and drywall and a dead cat. Which makes so. me wonder when have you ever had drywall? But that's a story for a different day. Yeah, well. how would you know what that tastes like? So, so anyway, so they can they, the, the rapid uh, aging can be as much as six days. Well, so the one I told you about was in there for less than ten minutes, so they rapidly aged for ten minutes. And they age it in an oak barrel? Yeah, well, so there's a lot of different techniques that they will do to rapidly age something. But, you know, the bottom line is what they're trying to do is they're trying to get out the higher alcohols and trying to impart some type of flavor. Right. And what what I've seen is is not, not many people can do both. What Charles did, Charles has taken, like, some of the rapidly aged stuff and then applied it to a finish. So he finished it with his wine barrels. And, and you can taste some of those wine barrels. So... Mm. Charles has, um, and I, I, I feel like he's kind of like he's onto something, because not many people have been able to make these rapidly aged products taste any like anything. But he's he's got something that's pretty so, decent. But if we get to the point, Fred, where we are able to rapidly age true bourbon, mm-hmm. and it tastes really good, and it there's no supply chain pinches because you can make all of it you want, you can age it, you don't have to wait for it, and the price is cheap enough. Doesn't that mean the party's over? Doesn't that effectively break and the whole? It will never happen. Uh, it, it, it just won't happen because these larger companies they'll buy the patents to something that they really see as uh, as being a, a threat, a threat, and they'll kill it. So, so you're confident about that? Yeah. All it takes is one disruptor to mm-hmm. come in and do that. Of course, if you know it's been rapidly aged, you can still insist from a hobbyist standpoint. This is micro microwave bourbon. I want the real stuff. There's just there is just something. I, I hate to use the word magical, but there's something unique that is happening inside a warehouse that we don't know about. Uh, one barrel is just sitting there. It, the way the pressure's hitting it, the way the airflow is, the way that barrel was put together, the way that distill is just going in and out of that wood every day. It's extracting all those caramel wood sugars, and there's so many things that's happening that they have not been able to replicate. And they've been trying since the 1800s. What rapidly aged products can do is they can come and take out the bottom shelf. That that is that can happen. So they will take out the bottom. I think shelf that stuff. I think that can happen, but I don't. I can never see them being on the level of uh, Buffalo Trace, like either the standard eight-year-old Buffalo Trace. I just can't see it. Well, I hope that's the case. 
because I think it's a neat thing that it still exists in this modern world of everything quick, 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 cheap, 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 just crank it out. Bourbon is the one thing that is still by hand, old school recipe, and it requires time and, like you said, a little bit of magic. It's an American magic. tradition. Yeah. It is an American it's tradition. It's American tradition. Yes. Leave it alone. I love Charles. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, I did, I do like the idea of the interesting idea of the glass framed rickhouse for different oh, type yeah. of temperature. Mm -hmm infusion with the sun beating in or you know they built one in wisconsin you're going to get those cold winter days with no sunshine and mm -hmm. how that's really gonna you'll get more extraction and more contraction of the uh, of the of the barrel so you know you could well, it'd be we'll interesting see. to see yeah we'll be, see how well it holds up in the pressure right that's you know, my question but the funny thing is is like uh you go uh you go to a walk around on a warehouse grounds in the heat of summer in kentucky and you'll start hearing pop and the bungs like will just start popping. No way, because uh, all that pressure just it's in there. It's cooking and that bung. So it pop. busts. It busts open the the barrels yeah. and it spills all out. Makes mm -hmm. a huge mess. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, it'll just drain out. It'll drain out. And if if you go into a warehouse and you can see like it'll look like a it look like like the little things from a cave, like black tar kind of dripping down. Mm -hmm. Those are leaks from the barrels. We there'll, saw that yesterday. There'll be microscopic wormholes in these barrels. And the whiskey will just kind of slowly pour out, and it'll seal itself, or it'll drain dry, or they actually employ. Uh, there's a profession called leak hunting, where they go through the warehouses looking wow. looking for Need leaks. Need a second job, and uh, <laughs> seal it up. That's amazing. Yeah. And you would have thought they would have created a more easily produced quote unquote barrel that can be machine produced, not hand produced, and had no leakage, no bunghole popping. <laughs> I always wanted to say that. And yet they haven't. Or if they have, it's not the point of it. It's still... Yeah, I, it, there's just there's just something... Technology has come and, and changed some things, but it's still, it's still requiring humans. Oh, you know? we watched it yesterday. I mean, there was five guys sitting there. They had a guy in a fork truck, six barrels on a pallet because they were standing upright versus sideways which was a whole separate conversation mm -hmm. but he was you know they, they lined them up and yeah. distal came in and then they slid it forward distal came in they slacked it on there and tour guide went. vince said you know that way is not as good essentially as doing it the old school way they were standing up versus on their side but and they were palletized and they were yeah. tighter together he said the airflow would be different the, the the aging would be not as good but the average hoople head won't know well, uh, palletization is what they do in Canada as well, um, and there's there are some arguments that they get you can get uh, you're getting parts of the barrel, uh, deeper parts of the barrel like the head of the barrel that you don't get as much with the uh, oh, being okay. on the side. So there there seems to be some arguments for it, uh, but yeah. but he the, said the argument was just efficiency. It's, it's easier to forklift a pallet of uh, barrels. True. Punch them in the top. Don't worry about the sides. So no one's losing their f fingers when they're rolling them. Oh Jesus you know? God! Oh, don't give me that. I get so like skittish thinking about smashing fingers and thing. I can only imagine how tough that is to haul those barrels around. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you they have a uh, barrel rolling uh, championships every. Uh, <laughs> I bet they do. It's like a side sport. You could call that. <laughs> well, someday I will. <laughs> when this all falls apart, someday that's... Hey, everybody, welcome to the 48th Annual Barrel Rolling Championship here in Louisville. We've got a couple of great competitors for us today. See? All right, so exit question from a big-picture standpoint on the bourbon industry here in Kentucky, which you say is probably the best thing the state has going for it, along with yeah. the Derby and horses. Yeah. We went to Bardstown, which is a very new school 
distillery. Mm-hmm. Brand new, four years old, basically. Very modern. They're putting a modern twist on it, not apologetic about it. And I said, this distillery is the perfect sort of um, representation of the old phrase, what's the best time to plant a tree 20 years ago? What's the next best time to plant a tree right now? Mm-hmm. Bardstown has decided to plant a tree right now, and they're going to have a monster business. They already do, but it's going to be huge as time goes forward. Mm-hmm. They can't be the only ones doing this, right? There's got to be a lot of new school distilleries that say, hey, we want in, right? Yeah, there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of things happening, um, and it, it it just takes a lot of money to get yes. it going. And you know, you're looking at a thirty, forty thousand dollar op, you know, build and everything there. Right. And the, but it's right now. What's happening is there's a lot of people trying to build brands with not distilleries. So you have someone who's creating a brand. And they're buying they're buying whiskey from another distillery or through a broker, and they're doing uh, small batch blends. Right. Uh, and so that that is right now is kind of like it's it's like going to you know you're talking about planting a, a tree like a seed. It's like going to Lowe's and a nursery buying a, and buying a, one exactly. that's already twelve feet tall. Exactly costs more, but you cut down on the time. And what they're trying to do is they're probably they're. they're they're trying to go with that same model that like Kentucky Al had. That's they, a little they, question. They were, you know, they create like they create a brand. Someone comes in and buys them for seven to twenty million, and then they're out, and then they yeah. can do something else. So, so celebrities, label, name, bottle, sizzle, marketing. Yeah. Get the juice from somebody. Make yeah. sure it's good juice. Doesn't you know? Not the shit that uh, Conor McGregor got that you told That's us. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> proper twenty one or what? What proper is it? 12. Proper, proper 12. Proper yeah. 12, which is I, the best video was him getting in a fight with a guy in a bar who didn't want it. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah. And the guy, he's like, no, I don't want it. And he's like, what? You don't like this? And he's like, shit. He sold, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. He sold it. In, yeah, money, he, out, yep. goodbye. Right? Yep. Mm-hmm. Oh, well. It's fascinating. For more on all things bourbon, get hooked up with Fred. YouTube, podcast, get the books. Fred Minnick, M-I-N-N-I-C-K. Anything else you want to uh, ask Fred before we exit the the ma- magnificent Mobile Strike Studio? Which, no, I want to thank him. Yeah, thank him. Thank for him the, for some bourbon and some pizza yeah. and our, his time and letting us come out and meet with him. It's uh, it's been great. Well, listening to this podcast, uh, the Zabecast, uh, you know, every day, it's so cool to be in this. In all the listeners out there, you know, when he's talking about like this, this thing is a van. It is beyond everything you can imagine. This is an actual studio. He's got sound padding in here. He's got floor. Uh, there's a TV screen uh, that has the subject of whatever we're talking about. Yeah, so you guys can read along with me. And, and then there's your picture there. Look at you. Oh, here's my exit question. The Ascot. When did that become your trademark? So I'd always loved Ascots. Like, growing up, I'd watch, like, these uh, crime movies and these, these mystery shows, like Murder, She Wrote. And then somebody always yeah. wore an ascot, and I loved them. And when I moved to Kentucky to be with the woman who's now my wife, we were going to the Derby, and I was I went to like Von Mars, like, hey, do you have any ascots? And they had no idea what I was talking about. I'd go to another store, they didn't know what I was talking about. And um, and at the time, I was writing about wine, and I was on uh, on this uh, wine trip um, with some other wine writers, and this guy is named um, Bill Marsano, is like an iconic wine writer. 
and he's wearing an ascot. He's in his sixties. You know, he's hitting on my wife. <laughs> and uh, and I'm like, I'd That's love what guys to pull move cotton. Do, right? <laughs> to pull yes. move cotton. Yes. <laughs> I'm like, I'd love to have some mascots. And he's like, fuck off. You know, basically. And just and then he's just like talking to your wife. Leave me alone. He's like, I'm trying to you know make out with your wife here. And uh, <laughs> perfect. And I thought this guy was like he hated me. And so we get home and he he FedEx me some some homemade ascots that his wife made. And, he, and in his note he said. Tell your wife I said hi. <laughs> <laughs> wow. And so Such that a was, parting shot. That's that was 2007, great. 2008, and then uh, been wearing them ever since. Love it. Well, All Gear's right. going to wear one on the show Monday, one of yours. He's, he's ready to get one when we go back All inside. Right so on. There you go. Show. All right, boys. Thanks for the time. I always appreciate it. My pleasure. It. Thanks, Ed. Very good. I'm going to get me a whiskey, Doc. You want a whiskey? No, I do not want a fucking whiskey. I can offer you a whiskey or water that I just washed my face in. I will have whiskeys. Play some poker. Drink some whiskey. Whiskey rum, snatch. Once again, a huge thank you to Freddie for hosting us. He couldn't have been more welcoming. And believe you me, the boys absolutely love the fact they could just nip at any of the thousands of bottles of bourbon in his studio and office, aside from the one super expensive Michter's that was $10,000 while I was in the van doing the podcast with him about 35 minutes and the, and the, and the, and the wolves were in the hen house to say the least. They were, they were getting drunk left and right, looking at all the cool bottles. Uh, He couldn't have been nicer. Very interesting conversation and certainly to be continued uh, as the years go on, as I kind of get more and more curious about the hobby, I guess, of bourbon and whiskey. Everyone's got to have something, a hobby, right? Drinking's my new hobby. It's my hobby too. Yeah, see, I'm not the only one with that. One thing about Louisville, wonderful people, uh, looked like a fun city when it's up and fully operational. It is by no means fully up and operational, Louisville. This weekend, I didn't know they did this, Two weeks prior to the Derby, Saturday night is called Thunder Over Louisville. And it's an air show combined with a fireworks show. And I said to myself, holy shit, how come I've never known about this? This is the ultimate kind of thing I'd be into. Air show plus fireworks over the river, downtown Louisville. Holy shit, this is going to be great. So we're staying downtown on Saturday night. And it was deader than a doorknob. I had heard on the news, they're like, well, they're not going to release what locations the fireworks are going to be. And the show has been shortened. Authorities really don't want people gathering for it. Okay, so well, why didn't you cancel it? They also limited, I guess, the air show. They, so they kind of crippled the show. Well, we're downtown on a place, a place called 4th Street in Louisville, which I guess is you know, the hot downtown sort of epicenter of the partying and the bars and whatnot. And they had this stage and they had kind of a a big canopy set up over 4th Street. It looked like a miniature version of downtown Las Vegas. It was dead. Big sign, 4th Street live with a stage for a band. No band, dead. Half the stores, if not two thirds of them, closed a steakhouse, uh, Eddie Merlot's, boarded up, closed. Of the handful of places that were open, they were depressing to go into. 
one bartender trying to service an entire 30-foot-long bar inside and outside. All because the city, I guess, is way more militant about COVID. I noticed this. I went into convenience store after truck stop, after fast food place, didn't put my mask on once, didn't have anybody say one word to me. I go downtown on Saturday morning. I'm looking for a place for a road win because I got a little bit of a Saturday morning emergency. Walk into a gas station, a little quick shop. I am not two steps in the door when the woman behind the counter spots me in a busy store where she's ringing people up. Sir, do you have a mask? And I just kind of played dumb. I was like, uh, no, um, uh, do, you, do you have one for me? She said, oh, I'll sell you one for a dollar. I'm like, oh my God. I noticed on the doors of the restaurants in downtown Louisville, big, bold letters saying, you must wear your mask up until the time your food is served while you are seated. And all I could think was, this is the diff. I would, I'm sure downtown Louisville is Democrat run. And I know the governor is a Democrat, but it, it has to be. That's just crazy. It's just crazy. There's no reason Louisville, Kentucky shouldn't have been like Florida on Saturday with a great thunder over Louisville. Come if you want. Stay home if you're scared. Otherwise, we got a city to run. We got tourism that is dying. It was sad. It was very sad. All right, that's enough for today. I had something else for you, but I'm going to leave it for another day. Thank you so much for listening and downloading. Good to be back. Ready to rock and roll this week. Back in the swing of things. We got a uh, Tuesday power lunch, I believe, lined up this week. I'll try to get Sally and uh, Andy at some point. Scott's going to come off. The COVID vaccine injured list. He's ready to rock and roll. So things are picking up here as we head towards May. Thanks for listening. Have a great Monday. And we will see you next time. Listen,